And so as a forgiven and a beloved people, a people whose hearts have been prepared for the word, let us hear our gospel reading for Advent today. I am reading Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. And I am reading this from the Common English Bible Translation, but I encourage you as always to hear this or to follow along in the biblical language that best connects you with God. So once again, let us hear from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. And Jesus said, In those days, after the suffering of that time, the sun will become dark, and the moon won't give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the planets and other heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then they will see the human one coming in the clouds with great splendor and power. Then he will send the angels and gather together his chosen people from the four corners of the earth, from the end of the earth to the end of heaven. So learn this parable from the fig tree. After its branch becomes tender and it sprouts new leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening that I mentioned before, you will know. You will know that he's near, that he is at the door. And I assure you that this generation won't pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, my words will certainly not pass away. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come. Not the angels in heaven and not the sun. Only our creator knows. So watch out. Stay alert. You don't know when the time is coming. It's it's as if someone took a trip, left the household behind, put the servants in charge, gave each one a job to do, and told the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know when the head of the household will come, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows in the early morning or at daybreak. Do not let him show up when you weren't expecting and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, stay alert. These are the lessons of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right. So I have to admit, This is a tough passage to listen to, amen? Amen. If there was ever an award for the most ominous or frightening moment in Jesus' ministry, this text is definitely in the running for one of the top spots. And I can assure you that this is not a text I would have chosen for our first week in Advent on the surface. You know, because this is the week that focuses on hope. And... There's not much of that, it seems, 
in this particular passage. So first things first, what in the world is going on here? Well, here's the thing. As usual, we're getting dropped into the middle of a bigger moment than just these few lines represent. In fact, this is only half of what's happening in that moment. The second half, it's not even the first half, it's the second half. Our reading for today is part of a larger, longer speech by Jesus, and it's actually the longest speech that you will find in this gospel. And it's believed, well, it's believed by scholars, certainly, that this moment in the gospel is not speaking to the future, per se, okay? This moment in the gospel is not predicting what is to come, but it's addressing something that has happened in the not-so-distant past of the original hearers of Mark's gospel. Which means that we're going to need a little bit of a history lesson to get some context here. Now, it's believed that the writer of Mark compiled their gospel in or around the year 70. And Jesus died in or around the year between 34 and 36, okay? So this is significant because this is being written or compiled, put together, a generation removed from the events of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, why is it significant to know that? Because this 70-year This is right after a failed Jewish revolt against the Romans. And what happened in that revolt? But the Romans destroyed the Jerusalem temple, brought it down to rubble, to the point where the only thing that was left is what is still left, and it's that piece of the Western or Wailing Wall. Leveled it. And that is why this context is important when we read this, because what Mark is speaking of is what can only be described as an apocalyptic moment. Now, a professor of mine at BU, Dr. David Jacobson, who is a scholar in homiletics and preaching, and he is the director, by the way, homiletics is preaching, He's the director of a theology project at BU, Boston University. He writes that this so-called, quote-unquote, little apocalypse of Mark 13 is best understood as crisis literature. It is spoken in the voice of Jesus, but to a context 40 years or so after the events of of the gospel of Mark itself. Whatever strange apocalyptic language of Mark that we hear, it has to be understood as a direct address in relation to the reality of the temple's destruction in 70 CE. In other words, the writer of Mark is using this moment to speak directly to the first century church to address their issues and their fears, the very thing that they were living through at the time. And so for all of the destruction 
and all of the stars falling from the sky and the planets spinning out of control. There is hope in these words. There is hope in this passage for those 70 AD or CE Jesus followers that the unimaginable violence, the fear, the oppression, everything that brings fear, all that they find themselves under in the Roman Empire in that moment will come to pass. That is the hope. That everything is terrible, everything is unthinkable, you are hiding in caves, in the mountains, you do not know who your friend is, you do not know who your neighbor is, but all that is terrible and unthinkable and unbearable now will pass. And we can have hope because soon enough, God will come and set everything to rights. All of this stuff will fall away and the people will be liberated from fear and evil and injustice because Jesus will return Jesus is coming to return, to restore peace. Not just any peace, but God's peace. And all of this will no longer matter. Now, for the the people hearing this, this would be the empire, the Roman Empire, and all of the oppressive systems that are found within it. So, Reve, if this is so specific to the early church, why are we talking about it? Where is the hope? And why does it speak to us in the 21st century? And I am so glad you asked that. (laughs) To find the hope, we need to acknowledge something. We need to acknowledge that for centuries, these words from the Gospel of Mark have been used against us. They have been used for the purposes of fear and control. The church has been real good at that for a really long time. Amen? Amen. And honestly, I believe that many of us have had some kind of experience like that with the text. Especially those of us who grew up in churches or faith traditions where we were, quote-unquote, compelled to behave ourselves because God is always watching. Amen? Amen. Okay. You want to be good, right? Because if Jesus shows up and you're being bad, well, there's a handbasket waiting for you because you know where you're going. (laughs) Or you need to conform You need to conform to what the church has decided. The church has decided is good and decent or else you're out of the family, whether it's the church family or your family family. Seeing a lot of nodding heads here. We have all experienced this kind of, for lack of a better term, religious manipulation. And quite frankly, There's not a lot of room for building a relationship with God, with Christ, with the Spirit, if you are constantly in fear of messing up. 
That kind of fear leaves no room for love. That kind of fear of God leaves no room for hope. It's like when I tell my kids to clean their room. (laughs) Clean your room, not because you don't want to get in trouble. Clean your room because it feels good to be in a space that doesn't make your life more miserable. So I'm once again here to tell you that if you were ever taught that you are not part of the problem, but the whole problem, if you were ever taught that God is waiting in the wings to catch you doing something bad, whatever that is, and as a result, you learned to be afraid of God or afraid of yourself, you were lied to. You were lied to. Because that fear, that fear is not of God. Loving God should not be inspired by fear. Doing what is right and what is good and what allows for the flourishing, the thriving, not just the surviving of all of creation should not be inspired by fear. And for too long, we have been taught the opposite and it has ripped the hope from us. You see, loving God is something that we were born to do. It's something that is fully embodied. It's something that is deeply embedded in our very selves. It is a part of our DNA. And being a people of hope is too. Being a people of hope is embedded in who we are. And I think sometimes that comes as a surprise to us all. And that's why I believe the hope, the surprising hope of this text does speak to us today. Let's just take a look at the last three years. We've been through a lot. And not not all of it's been good. In fact, a lot of it's been pretty terrible. And we're still going through it. Amen? Amen. We're still going through it. The world is on literal fire. There is political and civil unrest. There's not just new wars. There's continuing wars. There's terror. Just last week, a hate crime in Vermont almost weekly reports of mass shootings and a rise in gun violence. There's pandemic trauma that still affects us. How many of us get nervous when we have to go someplace new? We did a really good job preparing people for lockdown and a really terrible job preparing people to re-enter. We are carrying all of that stuff 
We have churches in decline. Our own denomination, just a couple of years ago, choosing to double down on racism and homophobia while claiming it's following God's word. Well done. <laughs> and the truth is, there doesn't seem to be much to find hope for in this world. Amen? Amen. It's a tough, tough world that we are in. Doesn't seem to be much hope. As a society, as a people, we seem to only have the energy to move from one crisis to the next. And that fear, that anxiety that we feel, that seems to be hovering over us all the time, it's not so different from the fear and anxiety of that 70 CE church. The circumstances are different, relatively speaking. But the deep-rooted fear, that existential dread, is the same. Amen. The wondering, where is God? The wondering of, what is tomorrow going to bring? And that's why hearing the promises of Jesus, they are a hopeful thing. Because embedded in this speech of Jesus's is a reminder not to be afraid, not to fear who is to come, but a reminder to not close your eyes and hide from what is happening, but instead to stay awake to keep your eyes open so that you can see the new thing that God is doing. This new thing that God is doing, not just in our world, but in ourselves. Amen. To dare, to dare to see that change. To stay awake. Because it is only when we remain alert it is only when we remain open to the movement of the Spirit that that change is possible. And we're going to miss it actively unfolding right before our very eyes if we shut them and try to hide. Because when the old things that no longer serve us fall away, the things in our life, the things in our lives that are death-dealing and not life-bringing, when those fall away, a new, hope-filled thing is right on the horizon. So take heart, beloveds. When it all seems to be going sideways, and it is, God is doing something so exciting in our midst, surprising us always with things to be hopeful for so long as we remain alert to it, open to it, lest we miss what God is doing among us and within us. So stay awake, be alert, and know that there is hope, not just this season, but in the seasons of our lives to come. May it be so for each and every one of us. Amen. Amen.